Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Key with HB is for everyone who dreams of a better world. Together, let's brew a new reality. Welcome back to Tea with HB. It's been a while, so if you're tuning back in, thank you so much. Now, although I've been taking a break from social media, podcast episode on that coming soon, I haven't been taking a break from working. In fact, I have an exciting announcement. My website launches this week. So while I'm taking a break from social media, if you still want to read about my plans for world domination, you can find them on www.twithhb.com. If you're new here, hi, I'm HB. This is the podcast where we tackle topics that aren't taught in school, from physicality to mentality. If you too have spent sleepless nights dreaming, ironic, huh, of justice and equality, I'm so glad we have found each other. Rarity. The state or quality of something that does not occur very often or in large numbers. In this case, a rare disease. Disease, disability, illness. Do these words seem scary to you? To me, a rare disease seems like something you would want to avoid. The less common it is, the nastier it must be. And won't it be more contagious? Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is technically a rare disease, and though it is genetic, it is not contagious. It's quite unpleasant, though. But it's interesting to me how words have different meanings to different people. To celebrate the end of EDS and HSD Awareness Month, I am joined by the President and CEO of the Ellis Stanloss Society, Lara Bloom. We talk about why raising awareness is so important, why the zebra is our mascot, and why this community is so inspiring, amongst many other things. So pour yourself a calming cup of energy-boosting, stress-relieving Earl Grey tea, and please enjoy. Hi, Lara. Welcome to Tea with HP. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. May is Ellis Danlos Awareness Month, as you know, and I was just wondering if you could kind of tell us a little bit about why raising awareness is so important to you. Sure, absolutely. So Ellis Danlos syndromes have been around for many, many years, and still, you know, the average is ten plus years to get that diagnosis. But then also, once they get that diagnosis, there's very little management and care there. I think people are still learning about it, but that makes it even more important to be raising awareness about it. So. People really understand the terminology, that the diagnosis is respected and validated and understood, and most importantly, that it then leads to, to care. 
definitely. I was, I started having symptoms when I was 10 and I was diagnosed when I was 15. And throughout that period, there was nothing about it and no resources, nothing, nothing on Instagram, nothing on YouTube. And only in the last two years, it's, I've started Googling it and results actually show up. So what was your diagnosis story like? Uh, obviously, lots of people wait a really long time to get diagnosed. I thought I was waiting a long time. Relatively, absolutely not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So I was symptomatic from the age of 11. And then I wasn't diagnosed until I was 24. And it was quite a fluke chance that I was diagnosed. It was actually, I was seeing a dietitian because I was struggling to put on weight. Um, yeah. And I had very high cholesterol. So nothing to do with what my multiple symptoms were in terms of pain and fatigue and subluxations and dislocations and all those things. But for the first time ever, someone sat down and took a full medical history, family history um, of everything. Whereas when you normally go to doctors, they kind of silo the symptom you're going to them for. And they ask if you've got medical issues, but it's kind of just a quick swivel on a piece of paper. Yeah, you need someone to join the dots. And here someone was really looking at it as a big picture. And they actually incorrectly said that they thought I had Marfan syndrome. That person also knew a lot about EDS. And then I consequently then ended up being diagnosed with EDS. Yeah, yeah. It is incredible how some people can just take a lifetime <laughs> or some people just go their whole lives without ever getting a diagnosis. I remember the first support group I went to, I met a lady who was in her 70s and she had just been diagnosed um, that year, I think. And her mum had actually been putting her in circuses and like freak acts as a kid to do the you know contortionist kind of tricks and this was my first sort of experience of meeting other people with this illness and I was just so shocked yeah no it's terrible <clears throat> the consequence of that delay to diagnosis range from I, I guess best case that symptoms are worse and people don't have their answers through to the worst case where people are taking their own lives and having uh, extreme depression and anxiety yeah. because of the impact of that. So it's very, very, um, you know, important. Um, consequences can be huge and life-changing and life-stopping. And I think people don't really realise what that diagnosis does for people in terms of validating often their mm. whole lives of unexplained pain. Yeah, exactly. I think with any disability or chronic illness, there's actually so much more to it than that. And it doesn't get talked about. Mm, absolutely. And so coming on to the, the mascot for Alice Danlos syndrome, which is a zebra, can you tell us why that's so important as well? I can. So historically, the reason people attach themselves so much to zebras is that you know, when in medical school, doctors are taught when you hear hoofbeat, think horses, not zebras, meaning don't go to the rare. It's usually the most common thing that's causing the, the problem. And we're trying to make people realize, you know, please think zebras, not just horses, because often it can be one of these rare diseases. It's kind of expanded out as well. And when we were launching the society, we really started thinking about the zebra and do people really relate to this? And is this something that makes sense to our community? And we knew we had the original re reason for zebras, 
Um, but we also knew that it, in time we may realize that hypermobile EDS is, may not be a rare condition. It may be more prevalent. We still don't know the answers to that. But anecdotally, we see a lot of people living with this. And certainly the hypermobility spectrum disorders we think are, are much more prevalent. So we needed it to be something that made sense that everyone felt like yeah, that. connection with, even if it became common. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, what we realized is a couple of things. So the, the, the things that I like the most is so no what, two zebras have the same stripes. But when you see a zebra, you know it's a zebra. And it's very often the same with people living with EDS or HSD. They can look so different in their presentations. Um, yeah. But what we want, but actually when an expert sees that, it makes complete sense to them. And to them immediately, it's either EDS or HSD. The, the other thing that we kind of uh, brought into the fold was this concept of a dazzle. So a group of zebras together is known as a dazzle. And we really believe that when you bring people together, it has that dazzling effect. And we've seen that with bringing our health professionals together through the consortium, bringing um, support groups together through the affiliates, bringing, you know, patients together through the communities globally, as we've seen at our, our virtual events and in-person events. And it, it really is truly a dazzle of people. And so that really struck a chord with us as well. And so I hope that everyone finds a way to, to familiarise and, and associate with that zebra branding. Mm. Yeah, I think it's such a beautiful analogy and I definitely connected with it when I first heard about it. You say that an an expert will know, an expert can tell that a zebra is a zebra or that they'll have they'll be part of the HSD or EDS community, but explaining to friends or family when you just have just had a diagnosis or when you don't know what's wrong with you, but you know something's wrong with you, but it's not visible. What's one thing you wish people knew about rare diseases? Or what would you like them to understand about it? I think you highlighted one of them, that they don't always have to be visible. Um, and in fact, more often than not, they're not. So people can be walking around looking very fit and well, and, and you have no idea of what they're living with. And I think people need to open their mind that when people think uh, disability or illness, they think that they should be able to see that. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing for me, which I've related to all my life and I struggled with, and to an extent still do, um, because humans are humans and we, we you know, there's, there's only so much that we can, we can really completely change how you fundamentally and instinctively react to something. And that is the spontaneous, ever-changing nature of a condition like this. So that one day you can be running around, jumping around, cycling, mm. um, you know, doing sports, functioning at school, functioning at your job. And the next day, for absolutely no reason, you can be bed-bound, yeah. not able to move. Yeah. And I think that f that fluctuation is hard enough to understand yourself, let alone try and explain it, especially when it's very new to you. Absolutely. And that makes it hard for partners to understand. You know, it's like, well, I want to go out tonight to the cinema. You were OK yesterday. Why can't we go yeah. out now? You know, for example, parent. Well, you were right yesterday hanging out with your mates. Now I'm asking you to empty the dishwasher and suddenly you're in pain. And, and yeah. you know, sometimes they are excuses uh, because, again, <laughs> we're all human. But a yeah. lot of the time it's genuinely that, hang on, my body's just decided that it can't mm. function in that way today. And it may well tomorrow. It might not for another few weeks. But I think what I find that the hardest part because of that is that people then don't allow themselves or, or are scared to have those good days. And so they shrink into the bad days because then it's consistent and those around them then understand it. 
And I think that's really heartbreaking. And I'd like to work much harder on making people understand the fluctuations. Yeah. And without that feeling of shame and guilt, trying to understand that fluctuation yourself when you're putting so much pressure on yourself is also really hard. And I think that that feeling of guilt you can get when someone says, oh, but you were right yesterday. And you're kind of questioning it yourself and thinking, oh, yeah, why am, why am I not OK today? What's happened? So there definitely needs to be more awareness for that. Um, I know for the conferences in general, you like to travel. Have you seen anything in another country or just other people that you've met um, where their attitudes have really impressed you or something that other countries do a lot better than we do here? I think it's it's always amazing to see cultural differences in a sense of expectations. So uh, you're right, I've travelled a lot. I've been to India, uh, you know, places um, that have been places where you'd think that there is access to care and places where, you know, that there really isn't. You know, South Africa, for example, um, you know, Brazil, South America. Um, there's there's a lot of places where there's a lot less than you think. You know, for example, in South Africa, um, there's only 12 geneticists for 56 million people. Okay, I'm complaining because I have to travel an hour or two to see a geneticist. And so it's just perception and what your reality is and what your um, expectations are. And there's some people that think how we have it in, in, in the countries we live in. It's, it's like a dream. And yet we're, we know it's not good enough where we are. So it's just that, that kind of real change in, in what people expect, what people you know are entitled to. I remember going to Panama in South America and I was there for a, a pediatric pain conference. And I just put on my social media, if there's any zebras in Panama, this is the hotel I'm staying at. You know, I'd love to have a coffee because I'm aware that there's very few people that have the opportunity to be able to sit down and talk to someone and meet other people. And there were about 15 people that turned up and they'd never met another person with wow, EDS. that's amazing. Enabled this group to then connect, get together, mm. you know, and find each other. And I just thought, how amazing if we can do that wherever we go. And we do try and do that wherever we go. And to really, you know, we've, we've established a, a seven-year plan, actually, with our events of where we're going. And where we've picked, we have strategically thought about places where it's not the norm, you know, where we are trying to get out there. When we, we went to Australia at the end of 2018 for the first time, and we, we didn't know what to expect. And we had 700 people come to our events. Um, between Sydney and Perth with a waiting list on both. And since then, the amount of health professionals we have registering on our directory from Australia and the amount of patients we hear from and interact with and uh, mm. social, like, on, um, socialise with on social media forces that, that community to come together. So I do think, you know, this, this period of time through COVID-19 has been the first time I've not been travelling at least every other week, you know, usually it's weekly. How on earth do you cope with that? Um, It's like anything, practice makes perfect. And I'm so used to it now and the pace of that and suddenly stopping made me realise that it's really hard, but I actually love that part of my job so Mm. much um, because you learn so much and being immersed in all those different communities, you realise all the different needs that are out there, you know, and all the different people on the spectrum with these, different conditions and how much we need to completely always be adapting to what those needs are and you know I think when you're running a global organization it's very easy to just really 
um, say you're global, but actually be directing your efforts, language, um, communications to the US and Europe. And that's just how yeah. most organizations work because it's much easier that way. Yeah. And constantly traveling and meeting other people enables me to then always be in touch with that need. Um, even basic things like translations, you know, we're aiming to get our whole website translated into multiple languages at the moment. It costs astronomical money that people wouldn't imagine. And then people say, well, why not use volunteers? Well, you can't use volunteers to transport uh, translate medical content and you need an, a level of expertise yeah absolutely and so yeah. it's i've learned a lot and i you know from day one of doing this it's now been a decade i've been working in this field from day one it's always been the community that have guided me taught me inspired me and that started with me you know because i'm part of that community as well i'm living with this and it started with well what do i need what would help me? Uh, what am I missing? What am I searching for? And that's what sparked this whole thing. And and then, you know, every day I wake up and I remember that, you know, young kid that was undiagnosed, that was really in a bad place, and it could have gone either way. I actually, I'm lucky to not have to draw too much on that because I meet new me's every day that remind me of how essential this is, how important this is. And there's been some, you know, there, there, there are at least 10 people along the way that I've met who every morning I have their faces or their stories in my mind when I'm exhausted, when I'm in pain, when I'm jet lagged, when it's really hard, when, the, you know, working through the budgets, it makes you want to rip your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through a global pandemic and, you know, everything's yeah. at stake and all these new yeah. challenges that we come across daily. My whole philosophy, if you like, is education solves all. And if we could fix the education system, if there was that basic level of understanding of things being a spectrum and things fluctuating, I think that could really help all the world's problems because you'd be allowing children to feel safe and you'd be providing them with faith in their potential rather than trying to keep them on this grade track that doesn't actually allow them to be free or creative. Um, and that's my kind of ethos, if you like. So what would you change about the curriculum in the UK as it stands? Would you want to include anything? Goodness me. Hmm. I mean, I think everyone should have a basic level of understanding about nutrition, for example, and I'm really surprised nutrition isn't taught in schools. So not in terms of health professionals, just in school? Almost what you wish you were taught in school. So I think it's almost, it's almost more primitive than that. And, and, and it's starting to be thought about, but to me, not nearly enough. And I think it impacts everything. And it's kind of basic kindness, and especially with social media. And so when I started all this, you know, social media wasn't a thing. Um, yeah. And if people had something to say to you, they said it to your face. And that usually is a much more pleasurable, polite, respectful interaction. Um, because ultimately, we're all on this earth with different thoughts, experiences, and different opinions. And that's essential and welcome. Um, but I think that one of the worst things that's happened as a consequence of social media is trolling um, yeah. and the keyboard warriors. And I've been the victim of trolling and social media attacks. You know, and I've actually met a few of those people in person. And I think uh. one of them actually hugged me and said, sorry if I ever get stressed out on social media, I'm just a mum who's got kids in pain. 
And then the next no, week, they no, will no, be no. just unbelievably no, 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 horrible no, no, again no. on social media. I think certainly when I was at school and social media wasn't things, I'm now too old for that. But uh, even friends, uh, my cousins who are 15, they're not taught at school the impact of social media, etiquette, bullying. Just words in general, I think. Just words. Yeah. Just kindness yeah. and how much yeah. impact you could have you know, there's been a few times where in person I've said something in a talk and I have had the best of intentions of where that's come from. And someone after the talk has come up to me and said, I ha- that resonated with me in a negative way and I found that quite offensive. And I've always been like, oh, my God, thank you so much for telling me that because yeah. it never would have come, never would have occurred to me. Yeah. And that kind of interaction is very welcome and it's done in a way that it's like thank you for giving me that feedback because I'm going to grow from that and improve Mm. from that and that I think is very important I'm not saying that people shouldn't question people call people out the two most important things in my mind are communication and compassion because if you're communicating without compassion the communication is not going to get through you've got to understand each other and that's why I find things like love languages so interesting and the psychology of theories like the xyz theory of saying this is what you did, this is how it made me feel, this is what you could do next time. And rather than kind of being accusatory and saying, you did this, it's this happened, this is how I felt about it. And you're kind of acknowledging responsibility for your own feelings rather than putting it on the other person. And if just simple things like that were taught in school, just how to communicate, just how to question rather than be aggressive, is it would be life-changing for so many people. Yeah. And I think basic things like that then have a domino effect on health, on everything, really. And I think, you know, if, if we're t- talking about topics and things, then I think nutrition would be great. I, 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 in the last two to three years, there has been a real awakening and understanding on rare diseases generally, chronic health and physical diseases, more more funding. And i imagine it will be decades before we start reaping the benefits and I just think that you know if we've got people learning about EDS now in medical school it's not going to be many years until we start benefiting from their expertise but I think as much as education re-education is just as important for the doctors who think they know what EDS and HSC Mm. is and they're actually very wrong yeah it just it frustrates me so much because the reason I'm trying to do this podcast is to raise awareness and so that hopefully kids won't have to go through what I went through. Raising awareness is important to me because with something rare people will either never have heard of it or they'll think they understand it. Yeah absolutely. And it's so difficult to explain nicely without being patronizing. I, I, I don't think anyone unless you've lived through it will ever understand the damage caused by having your very real experience questioned and disbelieved. And that's often in parallel to your development, to when hormones come into play, um, to the most influential years of your development. And at the same time as that, you're being questioned about everything that you're experiencing. And you're questioning yourself because you're becoming yourself. You don't know who you are yet. Absolutely. And I, I I lived through that and I know firsthand what that's like. And I, you know, I've seen tragic stories of, of the impact of that so we're, we're really trying to increase that diagnosis and but also understanding that 
that validation part is key. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy this episode? Please share it with a friend, leave a review or go to www.twithhb.com for more. If you have questions or suggestions, email twithhb at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at twithhb. I have my, uh, my large cup of tea. If you'd like to read about my plans for world domination. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.